the wind comes sweeping down the plain. Hello, and welcome to Black Woman Red State, a podcast about running for office as a black woman in a red state, about policy and what it means to get policy across the finish line, and about some things that you learn along the way while you are navigating the world as a black woman in a red state that are enjoyable and fun to reflect upon. So let's get started. First, I would like to offer an apology to my loyal listeners. I have crossed many red states over the last few weeks and I'm just settling down in order to get back to recording the episodes that I have outlined thus far. So thank you for your patience and your interest. Uh, This episode is called, Oh, I've Never Been to Oklahoma. And it, as the rest of the episodes do, delves into where that idea might come from, it delves into dealing with statements such as that as a black woman in a red state, my personal experience, and also, of course, my qualitative, very unscientific qualitative study, qualitative and longitudinal study of other black people in black states and how they deal. Uh, I will, I'm recalling that someone said this to me, a very kind gentleman. This would have been probably easily 15 years ago or more at an event called the Black Ski Summit. And as the name implies, it is a ski event where skiers, not all black skiers, but it's organized by black ski groups all over the United States. And they convene typically in Colorado or Utah for ski weekends every other year. And then a smaller gathering happens in the in-between year. So I'm recalling meeting lots of friendly people, having lots of fun. I'm not that great of a skier but it's so beautiful up in the mountains to be out in nature and just get fresh air and get some exercise. And you meet a lot of friendly people. As I said, I was on a ski lift with a gentleman and he asked me where I was from. And I told him that I was from Omaha. And his response was, oh, I've never been to Oklahoma. And I think there is an Omaha, Texas. There may be an Omaha, a smaller Omaha in the state of Oklahoma. I'm not aware of it. Maybe another listener can post that on my Facebook page if if they know about one. But the Omaha that is among the top 50 largest cities in the United States and is best known is in the state of Nebraska. So 
I say that not just because the really nice gentleman on the ski lift said that to me, but I've had more than one person say that to me, whether I'm introducing myself at a cocktail reception, we had an episode on those, or at uh, any national event, not so much at international events, there you're really trying to narrow down in the person's mind which part of the United States Nebraska is in. But at national events, it's been said to me, not just by other black people as as in this case, but by white people, white women, black women. So I'm going to spend some time on this episode. This episode, as I said, is called, Oh, I've Never Been to Oklahoma, and do some analysis. And of course, as we always do, we'll have some fun with Broadway, musical, I bet you can guess which one, and a discussion about how deep and wide and far-reaching policy and policy decisions are. So the first thing I want to mention is something I've already talked about, and that is as a black woman in a red state or a black man in a red state, how often you may be called upon when you are in a certain stage of life. And I'll go ahead and say it, a particular perhaps socioeconomic group, you find yourself away from other African-Americans socially. And I'm not saying that the city you might be in or the location you might be in is entirely devoid of other people who are African-American or other people of color, people your same age, or people at your same stage of life. I'm merely suggesting that there are these events, whether it's the Black Ski Summit or another very well-known one is the uh, Congressional Black Caucus Annual Legislative Caucus, which takes place in Washington, D.C. in September, where large groups of African Americans gather for an event, whether it's a policy conference or a fun event, a ski event, a golf event, concerts, the Essence Music Festival is another example of that. So this is a thing that is done. It's not unusual to have that in your travel schedule. It wouldn't be in a work-related travel schedule for many black women in black states, but most certainly, especially if you've attended college outside of your own home state, you might meet your friends or relatives at these events around the country and increasingly around the world. So I wanted to mention that first to some of you who just may be listening in and learning about, well, what makes somebody decide they're going to go to a black ski summit, especially when they're not really that devoted to skiing or that good of a ski skier, as in my case. It's just another way to convene socially outside of a group that might be small or might kind of do the same things or a way for you to reconnect with your national network of friends and loved ones and meet new people. So that's the first thought I wanted to share on this episode. The second thought delves a little bit more into a 
behavior pattern, I'm going to call it, that I would, I would say, not being a sociologist or an anthropologist or a licensed mental health practitioner, but I will be bold enough to say right now in this podcast that women on the whole are acculturated to be polite and to not confront people on inaccuracies or ignorance. I I would feel very confident in saying that right now in 2017. I would add that when you are an only or a first in your company, in your neighborhood, in another social group, if, if you're just getting to know a person, that if you are a black woman, you have also along the way learned to maybe take a deep breath, to weigh your options about confronting the factual correctness of a statement, or because there's so many inaccuracies and let's just say sometimes plain rude comments that are made while black women are around that could be confronted, you have just had to learn to let some things slide. And this is the choice I made. It was such a beautiful day. The person did not mean anything by it. What difference did it really make other than it kind of bothers my ego that he doesn't have to know where (laughs) Omaha is. There aren't any consequences for that in your day-to-day life. So this was just another opportunity for me to practice what turns out to be a useful skill in navigating the world and to let things slide, to use my manners, my well-developed manners, and not confront this gentleman or lash out and accuse him of ill will or anything in making that statement at that time. Once again, it is a lot easier, listening audience, as you know, to do this when you're relaxed, on vacation, in a beautiful environment, enjoying yourself, you're around people that uh, you've known for a long time, you're meeting new people, a lot easier to do that in this context. And we understand that, don't we? The third thing I would like to add to this discussion today is my favorite topic. Yes, you guessed it. Policy making and the possible reason why I've heard, oh, I've never been to Oklahoma is that, I don't know, did geography drop out of the curriculum? or maybe it was not included in the curriculum in the educational context of the people that have said this to me. That's, a, that's, a, that's just a distinct possibility, especially as we look over the last 40 years, kind of starting with the Why Johnny Can't Read movement, if you will, and 
budget cuts and tax referenda, it is entirely possible that they don't know because they weren't that interested in geography or geography was not included in their curriculum. In my red state, when I was going through the public system, public school system that I'm very proud to have gotten a high quality education from, geography was part of the curriculum and it would have begun in earnest probably in the fifth grade and been a requirement. I'm remembering taking two geography courses in the eighth grade, as I recall. One of them, World Geography, we got to use this fun onion skin paper that you put over maps and trace maps and label cities. And I'm dating myself, but at the time, I remember how, how large the Soviet Union was and having to pick out different cities and find it without, just from the dot, be able to identify the city on the map. We also had a, a course, which I'm not certain whether or not it's still included, but a course in what is called agricultural geography. And that I could understand would, could have been totally contextual because I'm from Nebraska and agriculture, agriculture is the number one economic driver in that state. And that might have been included at that time because these standards are often set on a statewide level through the Nebraska State Board of Education in terms of the general curriculum. So it's very, very likely that they might assume, especially when I was that age and in those grades, that you would need agricultural geography. Uh, I didn't <laughs> as a city girl, but it was very interesting to learn. Uh, I, a word about policy again. I just mentioned in our state, we've got a state board of education. And then, of course, we have hundreds of school boards across the state, local school boards, which do budgeting and also drive certain curriculum choices. They do this in concert. I won't say concert. I'll take that word back. They do this oftentimes in consultation with state policymakers and with university officials and increasingly with business leaders because while some of us have the worldview that education for education's sake, uh, I understand that is, that is called a liberal education philosophy where you become educated so you can open up curiosity about the world and, and learn for yourself. What I've noticed is that more and more the conversation about education, particularly public education, is about employability. And I can understand that. I do not agree with it. But maybe that's my privilege as a middle class person who's had access to higher education, high quality higher education, to be able to say that education is to expand one's horizons and not to teach people to be able to 
do a particular kind of work task. So with that, I realize this is kind of what is usually an abbrevi- a, a longer episode, but I want to leave you with the these thoughts. First of all, black women in red states, you know all about gathering for events. You've done it before. It's a normal thing to do. I've enjoyed it. I've done it, as I said, not just at the ski summit, uh, the Essence Music Festival, the Congressional Black Caucus. It's a great way to network and have fun. The other thing we've learned from this or talked about in this episode is being polite. Uh, Learning how to not say things that you're thinking. Because let's face it, the consequences for saying things that we think and which are true to us are oftentimes very different from those of our non-black and female colleagues and friends. And third, policy folks, policy matters. If you live in a state that no longer requires geography as part of the curriculum, or you never got it when you were in school, that's a policy choice at the district level, at the state board level, oftentimes at the state policy level with the legislators. It is just as susceptible to the winds of political change, small p political change, as any other topic. I mentioned why Johnny can't read and how a while ago, I would say, starting in the 70s, school districts started focusing on basics like reading and writing and things like art, uh, physical education, started to drop out of requirements for school districts. So policy is very, very important. I'm going to leave you with those thoughts. I want to thank you once again for joining me on this journey, Black women in red states and those who love them. Take care, and we'll be back soon. Bye-bye. Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping down the plain. 